12 years ago, they were known as the, oh, those guys only come here and start getting rowdy and drink. And then it would go to another unit. And whether that was members coming and going, whether it was kind of a changing of a mindset. And I'll be honest, like that was Gross Deutschland for a few years. Uh, you know, there's the old saying, the GD and the ciphers is uh, get drunk. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Ludwig and Rudy. We are going to be discussing something tonight that is very near and dear to my own heart, and that is the whole subject of alcohol and World War II reenacting. Um, so I guess to start off, maybe we could sort of do a discussion about kind of the historical reality of alcohol in World War II and how that could fit in, in theory, in like a, a correct and, and realistic way, maybe, into World War II reenacting. Um, so I, I guess I'll just kind of kick it off with um, an interesting quote that I remember from a book. Franz Farish wrote a book called Condemned to Live, and he was a panzer artilleryman and he talked about drinking during world war ii and the quote that kind of stuck in my mind was uh if you are never completely sober even a war can be fun and so that's a little bit of uh sort of a spirit that I think, uh, you know, maybe in the past, in my younger days, I might have carried into reenacting maybe a little bit too much. But look, it's not like um, alcohol is something that didn't exist in World War II. It did exist. Um, soldiers had access to it on some level. And, you know, we can find uh, references to that in documentation. So, um, you know, there, a case could be made, I think, for incorporating alcohol into a World War II reenactment on a historical basis to some extent. What do you guys think about well, it? Well, you know, Chris, I, I'm a, an avid reader, and I've read a lot of uh, biographies and uh, autobiographies from veterans of the Second World War, and I, I can't think of very few books where the vet didn't mention alcohol in some way, shape, or form or of another. Um, it just... I don't want to say that it was extremely prevalent, but it seems as if every book or memoir I've read, in, there's been mention of it, whether it was commandeered as they were going through a town or somehow there's a stash that was doled out to the troops or it raised their spirits or they were out of food, but the only thing that was left happened to be bottles of wine. So I um, there's definitely a time and place for it, but I, I, I really do, I can't think of too many books that a veteran didn't mention alcohol. Yeah, al alcohol is definitely a social thing, uh, I find, in reenacting. And very rarely have I found it to uh, find a sort of place in the more frontline experience until fairly recently when, with the Soldaten, uh, we portrayed the Panzer Division Feldherrenhalle in Budapest at the end of 1944 and beginning of 1945 when they were completely cut off. And during that uh, desperate struggle, that desperate siege in which Tens of thousands of German and Hungarian defenders were essentially caught in a cauldron uh, and surrounded, and despite desperate attempts to resupply them and to break them out, uh, were cut off from the rest of the world. And so the food situation got worse and worse. And one of the veterans who was with the Panzer Artillery uh, Regiment, Feldherrenhalle, uh, he talks about um, there being barely any food. We only have a few bites of bread left, but there was plenty of wine and schnapps available, and so many sought refuge from the pain in alcohol. And that is a recurring theme throughout all of the... There are not too many personal accounts that I've managed to encounter. His mentions alcohol almost throughout, even in the beginning when times are good, and then as things become particularly desperate, alcohol is a sort of uh, a, a sort of way to get out of things, at least for a brief period, maybe by being blackout drunk or, or just soothing the nerves. Yeah, you mentioned being blacked out drunk. Um, I think back to times 
that I was had the good fortune of being able to talk to American veterans of World War II who had fought in Europe against the Germans and asking them about what their memories were of the men that they fought against. And more than once, veterans told me that the Germans were drinking a lot. Um, they basically described, you know, what we in modern terms might call like raging, where they would be in foxholes opposite German troops and they would just hear German troops like wildly partying over there. I remember one veteran even told me that um, he heard the Germans partying and they were they were screaming. He could tell they were obviously drunk. And then some of the Germans just decided to kind of like run at the American positions, maybe without even any weapons, just blind, drunk and screaming. And the veteran told me that he felt bad shooting those guys. It was like totally wow. mind blowing to him. You know, he couldn't make any sense of it. But um, I have no reason to doubt his story, you know, and I, I heard things like that from other veterans. And of course, there's um, various anecdotes that were recorded even during World War II. I, I can't remember what the source is for this off the top of my head, but I remember reading one German source that describes um, a unit finding like I, it was some kind of grotto in Italy full of, of wine. And some of the guys got so drunk that they drowned in there, um, you know, like like drank themselves to death and drowned in wine. So um, obviously, um, you know, the Wehrmacht was a huge formation, millions of men, including a lot of teetotalers, no doubt, um, and people who maybe had the good sense not to drink so much that they died or charged enemy positions without their weapons. Um, but, you know, they're, like you say, I think um, war is war is hard and it's uncomfortable and alcohol can lessen pain in some situations. And it's clear to me that there were soldiers who had the opportunity and the desire to sort of take refuge in that. I know uh, with the Treffens that Großdeutschland attended in Germany, uh, we've spoken with several Großdeutschland veterans who um, I wish I could regale you with, with a certain uh, story off the top of my head, but many of the veterans would recount times of, you know, especially when the younger guys, the new uh, recruits that were coming in, um, with you know sharing schnapps with them to kind of calm their nerves a little bit and most of them saying that this had been like their first drink you know due to their youth and uh or just as they're going through the russian countryside finding finding bottles and it, it was pretty interesting talking to them and hearing their stories and how it just was kind of a prevalent thing but you didn't really think much of it at the time um and then sure enough, 75 years later, they could still out drink most of us <laughs> up till the wee hours of the night. And uh, most of us Americans would have to call it a night. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, I, I wish I would have written down more of their stories. You know, you mentioned being an American. Um, and that is, I think, something that plays into this a little bit. I remember when I was young going to Germany for the first time when I was a teenager, just being uh, absolutely straight up drank under the table by the Germans that I was hanging out with. Germany and Europe, I think, does have a different culture with regard to alcohol. Um, I, I'm not trying to make broad generalizations here, but I will say that, um, you know, I had to learn pretty fast uh, traveling to Europe, sort of how to drink more and better or like I would not have survived, basically. And... Um, you know, I think that that's sort of a cultural thing that um, does come into play here if you're pretending to be a German person in the middle of the 20th century. Attitudes about drinking and um, just the amount of drinking situations in which drinking is, is present and normal might be different for for that person than it is for us today from a modern sense. I don't know. Ludwig, you're a European. Um, what, what's your take on this? I mean, uh, having seen the uh, American performance in Munich, I, I can't say I was particularly <laughs> impressed. Uh, you know, don't want to throw too much, throw too much shade, but uh, could have been a bit of better performance all around. However, um, 
in England, in Britain, especially England, there is a sort of beer culture. And, and, and I think a lot of people who visit England find it a little bit ridiculous. But I also f- sort of found the same thing in, in Germany and, and other parts of Europe where people will start drinking quite early on in the day and sometimes drink right through the day. And it isn't necessarily a binge drinking thing, but alcohol is it is social and it is also associated with food and it tends to play in with both of those things. So you go out with your friends for a drink. And when I read personal accounts of German soldiers and German officers especially as well, alcohol transcends to all of these different uh, different ranks and different social categories and it is always there in some form. I can't say that I've ever read a particular account of somebody being teetotal in comparison to somebody not smoking, which I have, but teetotal I haven't personally read. I'm sure somebody has um, because, of course, that will have existed. However, um, whether it's, you know, uh, an officer in southern France recounting his meeting with, you know, fresh soldiers of his division and some SA generals that had come to visit them, uh, and of course sharing drinks with them all throughout, or as I was mentioning with uh, Budapest earlier, before the breakout, or the attempted breakout, in which very few of the men actually got through, uh, General Schmidhuber and the other officers of his division sitting around and having schnapps and, you know, telling themselves that whatever happens, it will be fine and they'll get through all right in the end. It is a cultural thing for all of them. It is something that is is there throughout every account and it is something that um, I don't, I've ne- obviously never been to an American reenactment. I understand Americans do drink at least a little bit. Didn't quite get that impression. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um it is it, it it inevitably, especially I find in, in England, takes such a large part of reenacting because it is you know there isn't that much of a cultural difference either. Thinking on those so many memoirs that I've read where this is mentioned, like I remember reading an account. I can't remember what memoir this was from, but uh, there was a distribution of schnapps. Everybody got like the equivalent of two drinks, and. Uh, they took the two drinks and were happy with it. And then uh, later on that evening, they could hear the NCOs in the unit being very merry. And I remember the author of the memoir saying, well, we all knew that they, they didn't get merry off of two drinks. And so there was some resentment that maybe it wasn't shared equally. But um, I mean, even uh, not just memoirs, but uh records from the time primary sources of Wehrmacht soldiers you can find um, just humor about how much they were drinking or access to alcohol I remember there was a a joke that I read um, that was about the medical NCO he had a bottle that contained alcohol that was alcohol that you could drink but he had this for medical purposes but he knew that if anybody knew that he had it um, that they would consume it so he cleverly uh, poured it into a poison bottle and then uh, one day he went to do his inventory of medical supplies and he found an empty poison bottle with a little note that said uh, I owe you one bottle of of alcohol signed uh, the deceased Feldwebel um, because the bottle didn't fool him, you know, and so, um, yeah, I think I think it's fun to, I mean, I think it's fun to have some drinks at a reenactment. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that this is something that is purely a historical thing, but I think that it is fun to. This is an aspect of history that uh, I think is kind of fun to recreate. Obviously, I'm not going to. Um, try to sanitize what reenactment is at its core it is a recreational activity that centers around recreating one of the very worst things that ever happened in human history there is an aspect here of sanitization of um almost a caricature of reality but um you know i think that uh yeah, I guess I don't really know how else to say it other than that this is this is an aspect of history that I think can be incorporated into into reenactment in a way that is is fun and makes it a little less miserable, which um, which is fine with me, basically. Uh, Chris, I actually have a question for you. Um, I've I've read I've seen a couple of accounts, but I know that a couple of newvilles in the past uh, we would be facing Russian troops that would just be doling out vodka, and some of these guys would get absolutely ripped up. And uh, then they would do the whole hoorah charge and just come through no man's land. And it is quite the sight to see. But 
I, they, you know, they were really putting down, putting down the vodka. Um, and I, you know, it's uh, you doing a Soviet impression. Maybe you can speak more to it. Uh, have you read sort of the same kind of antidotes in um, Russian literature memoirs as you have in uh, German soldiers' memoirs? Well, I certainly have read far fewer um, Soviet memoirs. I'll I'll say that, and so um, my my knowledge base on that is really shallow. But um, I understand they did have a vodka ration. Um, I understand they have like a cultural approach to vodka. Yes, I'm sure that there are aspects of this that are sensationalized, aspects of this that are um, sort of maybe a negative stereotype. Um, but uh, Look, I think when we look at, uh, you can find plenty of of memoirs and reminiscences by American soldiers from World War II where they're talking about, you know, getting drunk, being hung over, maybe in combat, how that felt. Um, and I'm sure it was the same for for all of the belligerents. Like the, the Japanese had their sake cups. Did they, were they able to drink enough of that to get totally blasted out of their minds? I don't know, but I'm sure that, that you know, among the millions of people there that it must have happened sometimes, right? I would think. Yeah, I can imagine that any, any army throughout all of history, whether it be, you know, the Roman legions or some Spartan going through the Athenian countryside, I'm, I'm sure that armies all throughout time have been uh, dipping into the sauce, so to speak. Sure. Well, look, having said that, of course, there are, there are aspects of this that can be kind of uh, problematic in reenacting and I think people listening to this who have been involved in any kind of historical reenacting, whether it's um, Civil War or medieval times, that there is kind of a connection between reenactments and maybe like binge drinking, maybe above and beyond uh, anything that could be justified like in a, in a historical setting. And uh, I remember... Uh, there was an event that we used to host a unit that I used to be in. We hosted it and the landowner was really not impressed by the amount of like drunkenness that was present at reenactments. I remember one time he made a little quip that uh, reenactors and alcohol are joined at the lip. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> it's true. Wear that title with honor. It wouldn't be a reenactment without at least a, a squib of at least a little bit of alcohol. Just sometimes you don't see your your fellow reenactors for months on end, and so it is a kind of a social thing when you get together. And what, how else would you rather spend time than having a, a few beers with your with your uh, with your mates while wearing uh, the Feldblusa, You know, well, it's like Ludwig said; it is a social thing, and reenactments are social affairs inherently. Um, obviously. Uh, Ludwig, where you are reenacting most of the time, you guys have like a beer tent culture at some events that is sort of different from like most of the events that I do, um, which is interesting. I mean, that is um, certainly one approach to evening revelry at reenactments. Um, wouldn't you say, Ludwig? I mean, I don't know anything about American reenactments in terms of the, the alcohol side. I do know a little bit from what I've heard from friends that have visited events in America. And they said that there was at least some kind of social aspect in a tent, which I suppose you could say is a, a beer tent in a form. In other words, drinking in a tent. It just wasn't a designated big, ridiculous white gazebo, huge with its own bar and kegs of beer brought in sort of set up as in the UK. And of course, not every UK event has a, uh, a beer tent. It is the really big public ones that have the huge beer tents where all, everything happens and then even the biggest one like military odyssey where they have the beer hall um and then uh there are other events like for example before a recent private sort of quote-unquote immersion event uh there is a brewery next to the site so it would you know it would make uh, sense to have a little bit of a social before the actual event starts and maybe that social goes on a little bit too long in comparison to how it should and there are a couple of drunk um bolsheviks and ss men wandering about in the uh, in the forest next to the <laughs> next to the brewery the following morning um so yeah the beer tent culture is definitely a thing and i think a lot of the events the public facing events for sure the real reason you go apart from the stalls and to see everybody is of course to see everybody in the beer tent on the night and watch all of the shenanigans that goes on there 
yeah, like I've been to reenactments where it was specifically stated that like uh, public overt drunkenness will not be tolerated. And I've gone to events where, um, you know, if you weren't uh, publicly intoxicated, you were basically viewed as doing it wrong. So, um, of course, not all reenactments are the same. There is, I think, a legitimate criticism that people will make about reenacting. Here we are, we're pretending that we're doing this stuff um, that is totally historical, totally serious. This is all about recreating a historical place and time in precise detail. And then at the event, it's just like, you know, maybe you're drinking wine out of a space bag or just, you know, doing shots of like whatever, or just drinking whatever bottle is going around. And it, and it kind of gets to a point where it's like, okay, nothing here is even remotely an attempt to recreate a historical thing. This is just a booze-fueled rager. I remember um, the Soviet unit that I'm in now is a very sort of a different vibe over there, which I appreciate. In the past, for a variety of reasons, they just had a bunch of people who were um, extreme drinking champions. I remember uh, <laughs> listening to them partying one night um, as they like tore their tents down and smashed all their furniture and, and basically being afraid almost, you know, <laughs> what is it going to be like fighting against these guys in the morning? These people are monsters. And then waking up in the morning and kind of walking over there bleary eyed and seeing that there was one empty bottle of vodka on the ground for every single person in that group. And, uh, I mean that, that, that kind of thing, I don't know that I've ever seen that since, but, um, certainly, you know that is they they had their own sort of drinking culture at that time which has changed over time but uh you know there are there are ways to just i think take it maybe was a that too supposed far. to be part of their uh event reenactment portrayal or was it sort of an after hours let's drink the everyone gets a bottle type thing this this specific thing was at the um Eastern Front event that we do here in Massachusetts every year. And tr typically the way that that event was at the time was that the kind of reenactment part of it really started on Saturday morning and then ended on Saturday afternoon. And a lot of people just show up on Saturday morning and leave after the battle. But a lot of the Soviets would get there on Friday and basically just party. And, uh, they had like weird nicknames like there was a guy called the booze zombie you know there was another guy and, and you know I, I there was one specific occasion where those those guys they had a setup with like a uh, a sort of a fly that you could sit underneath and there were two long tables and they smashed both of the tables and knocked down the fly you know they were uh they were they were a danger to themselves and uh i don't know that there was it that any you know i i don't know that it was like a historical thing that was trying to be recreated or it's just like here are a bunch of guys who at that time maybe are unhappy in their relationships at home and reenactment is an escapist thing already and then you add to it this release valve of seeing the guys that you don't get to see all the time and it's a party and it's just all all you can drink and and what happens happens you know? yeah um i i have to say that uh it just reminds me of you talk about having the uh, release valve um at the old gap events we would do there was gap one and gap two and gap one uh our unit always had this very formal and strict caserna impression with building uh, and cleaning your gewehrs and making sure your nails were clean and going out and doing the battle at the range and uh, very strict military setting, you know, proper salutes, the whole nine yards. And, you know, that's kind of why a lot of guys get into to the hobby and reenacting. And for Gap 1, we would always have our Vinox Fest at the end with Hulpik and Vinoxman. And Gap 2, uh, and this is where you kind of talk about letting off the steam, we would kind of always have an end-of-the-year uh, get your grievances out. Like, there might be stress, there might be misunderstandings, what have you. So we would always have kind of a special show with a character named Tiki Man. 
and Tiki Man would come out and talk about the shame that had happened throughout the year. And um, it just was a very unit thing that brought us all together to realize, you know, whether you might have agreed on something or not agreed, uh, this was something that our unit held, held close to each other. And um, it usually involved a lot of alcohol. And uh, I can recall one year, uh, an unfortunate soldat was tied to one of the poles and uh, had a a blow up genitalia tied to him that had two Hockenkreuzes uh, <laughs> on the ball area. And our Hupfeld, our it was I mean it was it was chaos. But our Hupfeld Babel came in from the back and he didn't utter a word, but I could see his eyes get as big as tennis balls, and he just mouthed, "What the f?" And uh, it was just a way of release, but it's it's just interesting to see that you have one moment you are strict Deutsche Soldaten, and then the next it just goes into utter chaos. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you could mention plenty of gap horror stories of guys being so drunk and you know getting put into the the bathrooms and covered with all of their kit and um, just just other mayhem. So. Th- there is a point where the line is kind of drawn in the sand and, you know, the, the old saying of the drinking lamp has been lit. So it's kind of uh, everyone sort of unbutton your tunics and, and enjoy yourselves for a little bit. Well, you mentioned the, the Gap event, which doesn't happen anymore. Uh, this event was such a great event. It took place on a military base initially in buildings that were constructed for World War II. Um, it was a really zony setting, and there was a lot of really serious reenactment that happened there. People would really work all year to come up with stuff to do at that event mm-hmm. that was like the big show. And it was, in many ways, um, you know, some of the things that I saw and participated in there were the most realistic things I ever did during reenacting. And of course, there were many hundreds of reenactors. I think there were over a thousand reenactors there most years. And so, um, you know, people had all kinds of different approaches to the event. But one thing that was an approach that some people had that you allude to was just getting absolutely wasted out of your mind, you know, um, which to me doesn't necessarily detract from the realism of the event. It's sort of, um, there are multiple, you can like do multiple approaches to an event in the same event if you're there for several days. Um, I remember the gap was my very first real event and, I was there for a few days. It was absolutely incredible. It blew my mind. It got me hooked on reenacting. I'm like still riding that high 24 years later or whatever it is. Um, it was so cool. And talking to veterans, going to the flea market, doing the battle, all these things. And then I remember Saturday night, it was just like, it's go time. We are going to be having some drinks. And I was hanging out on tanks. I was like over in the motor pool zone. Bottles are being passed around. I'm in the GD barracks. People are arm wrestling. You know, people are, people are getting really sloppy. And then the next thing I remember was laying in my bed with all of my clothes on, laying on top of my bunk. The bunk was made. I was laying on top of it. I had my uniform on and some people were in bed some people were out of bed some people were undressed or you know and i thought i thought that i was like okay um it's it's time to go to bed and people are uh getting getting into bed and someone came over to me and he was like hey are you all right i'm like yeah i'm great and he said uh all right well you know it's it's time to get up and i was like what are you talking about and i realized that it wasn't that people were going to bed. It was that people were getting out of bed and it was the next morning and I had oh. blacked out completely from drinking. So that was like my first event. That was my an introduction to what drinking at a reenactment can be. And of course, um, the guys like joked with me. Obviously, I had like thrown up. It was a big disaster. You know, somebody had had to help me over to my bed and everything. You know, fortunately, I'll never I'll never remember this. So it kind of limits the amount of shame that I feel. But uh, hey, I'd be lying if that was if I said that was the only time that I ever uh, blacked out at an event in the ensuing years. And certainly the gap, like I say, it doesn't happen anymore. I have kind of toned down my own drinking as I've gotten older. I'm 44 years old. I don't, I don't like rage that hard anymore in my daily life generally. Um, but certainly have a lot of fond memories 
of doing stuff that, uh, you know, a lot of people probably would, <laughs> would find distasteful, to be honest, but it was what yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, the, the Gap is one of the only places I can think of where during the afternoon you can see the snow slowly falling and the Waffen-SS are going through with their... Um, the Schlüsselbaum and uh, having a Zaffenstrike with lit torches and all the double decal Stahlhelm and just blowing you away from a reenactor standpoint. Um, and then the and then that very same evening, I'm, for the sake of uh, privacy, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, we had a member um, think he was in the restroom, but actually was urinating next to uh, one of the guy's bunks and uh, caused. Okay, it was unholy <laughs> hell. We still talk about it all these years later. Uh, but the thing that made it the most funny was that the soldat in question was um, wearing another pair of pants that he had purchased from a fellow member who had properly sewn his name tag into the hosen. And so in the morning, everyone was accusing the guy whose name was in the hosen of having done it. When in reality, it was the guy who had bought his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But there is a flip side to all of this. Uh, people raise valid criticisms of drinking. And I think when you've got guns and drinking mixing, although I've never ever seen any incident with reenactors, weapons or anything like that, and drink mixed together. Um, so I don't think there's much stock to that, to be honest. But there is a flip side. We, we used to have in an association I was a part of a sort of um, almost like a clique of, of Quakers that were obsessed with people not drinking. And if you drank at a certain time of the night, it was against the, the association's rules. Well, of course, this could be completely ignored in practice and was just used to sort of essentially try to bully people who were caught out or shopped for it or whatever. But it was just ridiculous. I mean, what you know, if that's the rule you want to have, fair enough. But there was uh, this whole thing about, oh, it's it's nearly you know half eleven. You should be winding down now. Like, no, we're here to have fun. If you want to go and go to sleep, go to sleep. Go and have your own tent somewhere else. And you you know you're halfway across the camp. It's not that loud. And this went on for years and years and years until I stopped really doing very much with that association and, and spend my time reenacting with groups where it's all a similar sort of vibe and everybody wants to party and have fun and go for a drink. But I found the sort of ridiculous stifling attitude towards it to just be so worse than people being um, ridiculously drunk and, and making a mess of themselves I mean that's you know that can be boring after a while but it's not trying to control how other people behave whereas that was just worse in my opinion well I on some level I, I do see where they're coming from I can I can think of at least two sites where I used to do reenactments that are now off limits because of uh, drinking. There was a, a Boy Scout camp where we used to do reenactments. It was a really great site. It was a really great site. Um, the, the rules at Boy Scouts of America properties are very clear and there is a zero tolerance policy on alcohol and uh, we were doing something there and somebody saw one of our guys drinking a beer when and where he shouldn't have had one and then we weren't welcome back after that you know there was another time that we had successfully concealed this was a different a historical site with a no drinking policy we had concealed the entire time that uh, we were drinking and successfully nobody saw us drinking but after the event somebody decided to go through our plastic bags of trash hoping we had left behind some kind of cool thing that they could have as some kind of world war ii souvenir and expose that the plastic bags of trash were just full of empty bottles of booze and uh you know, so if we could have maybe just not drank at those events where they didn't want us doing that, maybe we could still be doing those events today. But because we just absolutely had to be drinking, that stuff's off limits to us. So, um, you know, See, but that's but, different. That's different. You were told not to drink and you still drank. So there was yeah. a site that I, I still run events at that is a, a ministry defense site. And it's very clear, no alcohol. And so when everybody arrives at the site, I'm very clear, absolutely no drinking at all. That's a rule I follow and I expect everybody to follow. And somebody while I was doing the briefing made a joke about, oh, we'll, we'll sneak off to the pub. And I, I had to be quite blunt that if they did that, they would not be attending the site ever again whenever these events were organized, because that's, that's a difference. What I was referring to is where 
you know there is no risk of that happening and and you know it's just a there's no rules on drinking and people sort of acting like puritans to try and stop it but I, if if it was the case that you're not supposed to drink then i i completely well i feel like that's almost that. religion trying to push well, religion on someone else i that I, that does that kind of baffles me too the puritan non-drinking view i've seen guys who they drink socially um but they are sort of opposed to drinking and reenacting for a variety of different reasons. Maybe they think it's disrespectful. They think it's inherently unserious. Or they kind of note that, like, a lot of times there are no breaks on this thing. Of course, a good thing with reenacting is is that there's so many different groups out there that if you are in a group that ha- has an attitude about drinking that you don't like, whether they drink too much, whether they don't drink enough, you can probably find some other group that is a better fit. You know, I remember that Gap event. There were certain barracks where it was lights out at 8 p.m. or whatever, and you had to whisper if you had to go meet someone in there for some reason. And then there were other barracks that basically everyone knew about where it's like, look, this is where we go to melt down and die at night. Um, and, you know, it's all all you can drink, hard hard liquor, it, it, intense pressure to chug, you know, hard liquor, you know what I mean? You name it. And, uh, you know, I certainly spent some time, I'm not going to name, name names here, but I know that probably some veterans of that old event know exactly who i'm talking about and uh i saw things over there that i will i will never talk about publicly but uh you know there's there's different different approaches to partying well, I, at reenactments. i think it i think it um, ebbs and flows so, too um i because i know that a lot of the old you know i've been doing this for going on 13 years but guys who've been doing it for 35 years will tell me that it's it's very cyclical uh in terms of and just as an example, I don't recall which Waffen SS unit it was, but, you know, 12 years ago, they were known as the, oh, those guys only come here and start getting rowdy and drink. And then it would go to another unit. And whether that was members coming and going, whether it was kind of a changing of a mindset. And I'll be honest, like that was Kroos Deutschland for a few years. Uh, you know, there's the old saying, the GD and the ciphers is uh, get drunk. Um, and we 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 kind of got a little <laughs> bit of a bad rep for being the the party unit. Um, now I will say we still enjoy our alcohol, we still enjoy our comradeship and being together. Um, but I know it kind of got a point to where a bunch of us kind of had to look back and say, "Hey, you know, we we need to scale back as a whole because it, it is getting a little bit excessive." Um, I know that there was a Stalingrad event that we had attended. Uh, and you talk about drinking in the historical sense, but there was a couple of members that had had a little bit too much and were throwing their glass bottles. And so other units were kind of complaining that it was ruining the ambiance of the event for them. So um, I say I would, you know, this was a number of years ago, but I think that we've kind of curvetailed it and said, uh, we still want to have fun. We want to have a good time. But what to what extent, you know, are we making kind of a bad name for ourselves? So um uh, you know, I think I think it does kind of rotate from unit to unit, and uh, you know what that all entails. I'm not entirely sure, but um, I have uh, toned down my drinking uh, in recent years, mainly because I usually find myself responsible for other people. Um, with my original group, I was always a Gruppenführer and sort of trying to look after people as much as I could. But there was one particular event when we had good fortune to be reenacting in a sort of village setting and there was nobody else there and it was the last event of the year and it's very much let your hair down time and there were quite a few bottles of different as you would say hard liquor lying about there was hennessy and vodka and all this sort of stuff and some of the lads had the genius idea to start mixing hennessy and vodka and at that moment i stopped drinking because i knew exactly where things were going to go (laughs) and i spent the rest of that evening babysitting one of the lads as he just spewed up uh, the consistency of mashed up chicken nuggets into an original Soviet mess kit for what seemed like forever. It just didn't stop. It's just cradling him as he, you know, I thought, is he going to die? Is he, is he just going to completely empty all of his organs into this tin? And eventually he did stop. Not until, of course, we'd recorded some of it for <laughs> posterity as well. Um, so he, he will never forget that. And... Um, that's when I started to tone it down. And the couple of events I've, I've you know, been a, there was a an event where we had um, had a lot of part of the rations were um, 
it was macaroni or pasta of some kind, similar to an original recipe. And we were all, you know, fantastic event, fantastic site. And a little bit of red wine with the, with the pasta went down rather too well. But I wasn't, you know, a disturbance in any way. I was just jolly drunk, which I think is the best drunk to be. And if everybody's just that, then, you know, what, what harm can it can be done? But throwing bottles around and screaming and shouting, yeah, that starts to cause problems. But I think there's a balance to be struck. I think that... Um Another issue to consider is um, that there are reenactors who are under the legal drinking age, which is 21 years old here in the United States, and how exactly you can approach that. Um, I I was in a group years ago where we had like a party core. You know, we had a bunch of people who were looking to rage at every event, and um, we got into all kinds of, of trouble. And there was a discussion in the group at one point about how to address drinking for people under the legal drinking age. Um, and what we concluded was that uh, under 21, you drink for free. So there was like <laughs> drinks that they were like could have. Um, you know, we didn't want to have, have them worry about buying beer or something i don't i can't even justify this but that was like literally the official policy was that uh yeah okay you're under 21 sure here's like drinks you can have they're free for you they're available for you to get drunk um which is just crazy really from like a perspective of nowadays i don't know how we (laughs) survived all that stuff i used to always wander over to the soviet camp uh because when i started reenacting and still today really my mom joined with me because i was too young to join on my own and so she joined the Soviet side because, as she asked originally, they had the uh, the nicest, uh, the warmest uniforms, and that's all she cared about was not being cold. So I would always wander over to the Soviet camp where she was, and like the Soviets you mentioned earlier, uh, Chris, the Soviets over here, there's a particular group that were just they could drink anybody under the table, and they would party until the wee hours, and everybody would complain about them partying, and they weren't ripping whole tables down or destroying the tents or anything, but they were. They could really go for it. And well before I should have been drinking, they were feeding me vodka and whiskey and everything else and just sort of winding me up to set me away. Um, and I loved it, you know. I, I paid for it in a million hangovers and I was completely incapacitated for many events where I, I was just ill. But I loved it, you know. I, I, I have a fond memories of all of them. Every single time I see them, I, I'm, I make a beeline to go and have a drink with them because it's that's where I started drinking was really with them. And that's maybe not good you know i don't know it could maybe it's good maybe it's not but uh you know a case could be made that that that's kind of a a danger or a risk or a problem or whatever um you know i'm not going to condemn anybody and anything that i could condemn somebody for with regard to drinking and reenacting i am guilty of myself um but certainly it, it's a consideration and certainly there's stuff there that I think gives ammunition to the people who take a, a dim view of drinking at events. Well, I think it all kind of ties ties together. It's, at the end of the day, it is a safety issue, whether you're dealing with minors or speaking from a unit that uh, hosts our own events. I mean, some of these events, you need to get uh, liquor insurance to host. Uh, believe it or not. And a lot of insurance companies aren't willing to provide a liquor license, you know, if the owner of the land is requiring one because, well, we have a firearm insurance policy, but then also liquor and liquor and firearms don't usually mesh very well. Um, But we also attend an event at um, an air show, which is an active airfield. You know, it's an active airport and there's not supposed to be liquor there, but any given morning, whether it's Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, you'll walk out of your Zelt bun and see, you know, your Zelt and there'll be 125 bottles and six 40 gallon uh, trash cans filled to the brim with beer bottles from partying the whole night. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a safety thing. It's interesting to see what you kind of can do and can't do and get away with. But it's all about moderation and being smart, I guess. Yeah, you've got to be reasonable. You can't push it too far either way. And and there is certainly a case to be made that it's not a good idea and certainly that, you know, um, drinking when you're underage or anything like that is not clever. But, I mean, what is the, you know, I, I guess how, the question is, how do you even police that in the first place? Or what do you, what do, you do with it? You know, I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think there is anything to be done. I, you know, I'm not going to, like you, I'm not going to condemn anybody. It comes down to unit leaders and what rules they want to impose and, um, you know, reenacting 
it, it has, like I say, it has a social aspect. There is a, a drinking aspect to social gatherings and parties. And um, I agree with you in that I don't, I'm not going to advocate for any kind of change. For me personally, this is a problem that has sort of solved itself because I am now 44 years old and the hangovers mm-hmm. hit very different now. And um, being in the field in bad weather on a Saturday, um, you know, trying to eat a can of sardines and feeling like I'm going to throw up and my, my head is pounding and I feel like I'm going to die because I had, you know, too many beers the night before. I don't want to kind of experience that again. So, um yeah, maybe I will be drunk again at an event someday. I'm sure that I will, but uh, it's not like not like the old days. And um, you know, I think that's that's probably positive. You know, I think that's normal. What if you wanted to have a unit rule that said you had to drink? <laughs> a, u- a unit rule that said that you had to drink. You have to. It's not optional. You have to. There are no teetotalers. Only the Führer is allowed to be teetotaler. You have to drink. You have I think to participate. That- well, this, this, you know, gets to a whole other sort of a topic where um, if, if you're doing something that's maybe bad or that you're not supposed to be doing and someone else is not doing it and can sit in a position of judgment, uh, that, can, that can be negative. But if everybody's forced to participate, then no one can uh, judge anybody else and it takes <laughs> away that aspect of it. So I can see why, exactly. you know. Exactly. It's a simple solution. Everybody has to drink. An equal amount, too. You have to drink an equal amount to the person that's drinking the most. <laughs> yeah. That's a death sentence. Well, I think we kind of <laughs> talked a little bit about the, you know. the bad side of drinking, the party fun side of drinking. And if I may, I kind of want to go toward um, what I like to call the honorable side of drinking and reenacting. And um, I don't know if either of you in your units have something similar to this, but... Uh, we have an award that we get out every year for the most authentic soldat, which um, is a soldier who showed leadership skills, who has their kit squared away, who knows the knowledge of uh, Gross Deutschland inside and out, uh, has been someone who's acted as a mentor for some of our newer members. Um, and so we give we give this away and it's a really cool wooden plaque with a Gross Deutschland soldier on it and it has an iron cross carved on the top. and. This, this has been handed out for decades, and so there's little um, Ausweis papers and Erlob cards stuck in there that the guys would sign who have won it in previous years. And whoever wins it that year uh, has to, there's a little copper uh, shot glass that is attached to the uh, trophy, the award. And so the winner from the previous year has to say why they picked the new Soldat. And then there's a couple of bottles of uh, good old German uh, Afrikorn schnapps that they take a shot together. And then the winner of the award for that year takes a shot with every single member in the unit that's attending that event um, if they so choose to take the shot. Uh, So when I won it, I actually took a shot with every single member and I was absolutely blitzed. Um, you don't have to do it with every single member, but it's kind of an honorable tradition that Gross Deutschland's done for many, many years. And so I think that there are some kind of like cool nuances. There's some cool traditions with drinking that do tie into reenacting. Uh, I know like at Odessa, they give away bottles of champagne for the uh, most authentic units. So that's always something for different units that attend that event to strive for. Um, I just, I think that there are instances in reenacting where uh, it, alcohol plays a more honorable role beyond just the means of let's get hammered. I know at Odessa, uh, for years and a couple of years now, we instituted where members of the Stab would get in the motorcycles and the Kubrawagen and we'd drive way up to this high hill. It's called Old Baldy that kind of overlooks the rolling hills at Odessa. So only the officers and the members of the Stab go up there and we usually bring some kind of, like, I would bring Asbach uh, because General Leutnant uh, Walter Hornerlein, uh, the commander of Großdeutschland, up until 1943, uh, that was his favorite type of brandy, was Asbach. So we all bring our little Trinkbecker, and we, it's just, it's a way to bring us all together and just view the vastness and beauty of the area and the surroundings and the reenacting, and to just know that there's six other members 
you know, up on this hill that are sharing this special moment that we all come from different walks of life. And yet this hobby brings us together. Um, and I know this past year at Odessa was really special because I was the only member of the Stab that was there, um, myself and Feldwebel Weber. So we actually, it's never been done before, but we took the Gruppenführer and the Truppenführer with us to act in the stead of the Stab that was missing. And so it just was this really special moment of aspiration and bringing kind of like the Alta Haas and the old veterans with the younger guys together. And, um, you know, those are just some instances that I think of where alcohol is really like a binding thing for we as reenactors. Yeah, we do something similar. Oh, I say we do something. Diesel Dutton, who I've joined, they do something similar where they have um, Ratzeput, which is like uh, ginger schnapps, and it's blow your head off mm. sort of strength and taste and... There's nothing particularly good about it. I think that is kind of the point. And that's filled into empty uh, flare cartridges, which are then taken in one shot. And that is your initiation, uh, is to is to do that in one go. And then it's used variously for uh, celebrations. And, and that is your sort of induction, I think, into the group is once you've done that, then you're one of us, as it were. Um, the honorable side, yeah, I, I, I agree where you're coming from. There's also, I've, I quite enjoy the authenticity side of it, is getting correct uh, correct bottles and correct um, sort of storage for your, for your alcohol, not having it, not ever using modern bottles if you can avoid it. So figuring out ways to um, take beer into actual proper um, capped bottles. And then I have a, a specific bottle, which I always use for schnapps things like that and using tankards if you were in a sort of more barrack setting where it would make sense to have one uh, things like that I love as well I really enjoy that side of it making the actual drinking experience authentic based on you know what the scenario is what they would have had at that time or in that particular setting uh, or, un or unknown to have had and then it, it makes well, it yeah, a lot better I, I love that you brought that up because for years you know you go to these events and you see guys that are running around with beer krug or as some people call them beer steins and it's just if if you truly are, uh, you know, at an event that's supposed to be in the middle of the Caucasus on the Ost front, you know, you're not going to be carrying around beer crew. So it's like, where's your Twinkbecca? You should be drinking out of your Feldflash Twinkbecca. Um, you know, so just that's kind of those simple things that we can always strive to improve upon as, you know, reenactors. To me, like the big thing is the cooler. You know, guys will have a, a modern plastic cooler and then um, it's behind the tent. It's hidden under a tarp. Everybody knows it's there. Somebody didn't put the tarp back on. Everyone's looking at the cooler or, you know, I've seen where guys take like a wooden crate and line it with styrofoam so that they can have it as a beer cooler. And to me, it's just like, I don't know, would it kill you to just drink warm beer for the, for a weekend? You know, not, not saying drink like heat, heat up the beer or anything. But, um, you know, it just doesn't need to be ice cold. If they had had beer in that setting, whatever that setting is, it probably wouldn't it wouldn't be coming coming right off of ice. And that's fine. Um, you know, and of course, yeah, it does create like a like a visual jarring problem, with, like in an evening where um, people are sitting around a table, maybe. And I, I'd like to take a photo because it looks cool and I'd like to memorialize the scene. And then I realize that the table is covered with oh, beer cans no. and there's just no hope of of making it look like World War Two. And so the camera doesn't come out, you know. Yeah, it ruins it when that happens. And, you know, I mean, personally, I don't have a problem with warm beer at all. And I'd rather it just be stored correctly. And no coolers, nothing like that, nothing plastic ever. Just, you know, there should just never be anywhere near. Even at public events, I just don't like to have anything like that around. It just instantly ruins everything. Because you can be having a perfect moment where everybody's just talking, even if they're talking about modern things and it's not in any way immersive and you're just sitting around and enjoying everybody's company. The moment you have something like that, it just ruins it. You know, keep it as, as as nice and atmospheric as possible. But there is one thing. We did have the good fortune to have a lovely little camp right next to a, uh, a river. And we placed all of the bottles in the river covered up so that they stayed cool in the absolutely mm. scorching sun. And it, it kind of worked. It did, you know, at least it wasn't hot beer. It was, you know cool beer it wasn't freezing cold it was just cool but it was really nice and it, it was it was quite a zony sort of experience yeah i will say we have a couple of the ammo crates but one of our members got really creative because we have uh, a goulash canon a, a field kitchen that we cook out of so he actually has been making crates of various 
food items that would have been delivered to the goulash canona, like uh, period correct crates of magi. Um, and so those have, some of those are insulated to store like the foodstuffs or, you know, beer if need be. Um, so you can be kind of creative with it. So essentially my, um, my insight into smoking and reenacting is the fact that I'm probably the quintessential I took up smoking uh, because of reenacting. So the Hungarian helmet is a Stahlhelm. It's, it's basically the German M35, but it's painted green. It has a bracket on the back and the rivets are different. So they think, they look at us, they're like, you don't look like Germans, but you have German helmet. Like we can fake close combat and shooting at each other, but like the, the pure horror, of, it's never comprehensible unless you've lived it. The Reenactor's Corner, bringing history to life. Well, uh, I enjoy talking about this subject with you guys, and I'm sure that we could talk about this for another hour, but uh, we are just about out of time, and all of this talk has made me thirsty as well. So uh, I'm going to go have a beer. Uh, thanks, what's guys. Your, what's for... your beer of choice before you wrap it up? What's, what's the beer oh, of choice? Uh, at a, at a, at a have... reenactment or at home? Okay. Uh, at home, it is uh, Pilsner Urquell. Um, okay. is what I have in there right now. It is Czech and it is delicious. Um, at a reenactment, I'll usually get, I'll usually bring a German beer like uh, Spaten, for example, because I find that the labels soak off really easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Pilsner Urquell label doesn't come off easily. It's like a, a sticker. Um, the German beer that with the paper labels it's water soluble glue i toss the the bottles in the bathtub the labels float right off and then it's ready for me to uh bring out to the eastern front or wherever i'm going nice what about you rudy you know i'm a really cheap date i love all kinds of alcohol so <laughs> any anything at home i actually am drinking i'll do a plug for uh bird dogs sea salted caramel whiskey which i'm currently drinking um, but at an event, our unit beer is actually uh, Bitburger uh, because Deutschland was stationed in uh, the city of Bitburg, if I'm not mistaken, prior to um, the invasion of France. Uh, so Bitburger is the beer of choice uh, when, in, when we are at events, for sure. Ludwig, what about you? What are you, what are you drinking at events? Ah, uh, tonight, sadly, nothing. But... Um... At home, usually red wine, I have to be honest, and in the field, it would be typically be uh, Weinstefana wheat beer, which is the mm. best. <laughs> Not to be a beer snob or anything, but it is the best. Mm. And you Americans with your salted caramel whiskey, uh, what the hell is that about? I mean, I... What is that about? <laughs> That's banned. By, by Führer decree, that uh, is banned. It's all good. <laughs> My group that I that I started reenacting with, the unit drink was hot chocolate mm -hmm. with peppermint schnapps. Uh, the, the good drink on a cold day. Uh, my current unit drink sort of is uh, Old mm -hmm. Krupnik, which is like a Polish honey liqueur. It's very sweet. Um, I don't know why that became the drink. It's just one of those things. It's not based on any kind of historical reality. It's just someone brought a bottle of it one time and we, we drank it and enjoyed it. And then that became the thing somehow. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to um, Baron Jäger, yep. the, the East Prussian it is. honey liqueur. Yes. Yeah. Ethelkorn yeah. pear is delicious. That's another really uh, good one that our unit seems to have quite a, quite a few bottles laying around. But I, I, I will say, and this nice. will be my last thing, is just something that always sticks out with me is attending the old Bedford event. Uh, it's in the U.S. and Pennsylvania, old buildings from the late 1700s. George Washington supposedly went through there on his way to Valley Forge. But I can recall just sitting on the front porch of the Isba and having our field radio going with the Wunsch concert and the different melodies and the the different speakers from the Heimat in Germany and just having a, a, a beer with uh, our, our Gulash Kanon and uh, Kukenbol, our head cook, uh, and just talking in first-person impression of missing our family and talking about what was happening in Germany and different vehicles we'd seen uh, arriving on the front. And I just, that's a, that's a memory that will always stick with me. And I, I, I automatically relate that to uh beer as well <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys uh 
it's been great talking and uh i hope that someday we can maybe all have a drink together and uh in some setting or another Uh, absolutely indeed so a quick thank you to all the patreon supporters really appreciate your support so much wouldn't be able to do this podcast without your valued support and we're really grateful for it um so to rudy and ludwig and to everybody out there i will see you in the field see you in the field Cheers and see you in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast. So why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactors Corner and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air. And you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactors Corner. <laughs>